Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. I'm the campus pastor. I am going to be talking today about Simeon and Anna. I'm sorry Anna was left off the slide. That is my fault. Um, Anna should have gotten equal billing. Sorry about the patriarchy. Um, and I just want to start off by just reading this section of the Christmas story for us. So we can we just go. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Uh, oh, uh, and Anna spoke as well, echoed everything. She did, trust me, she's there. She did some amazing stuff, there she was. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped day and night, fasting and praising. These are the two people that we meet at this part in the story. And this is after Christmas, Okay? We're eight days after all of the stuff that we're going to talk about on Christmas Eve. This is eight days after the angel choir has packed up their stuff and gone. This is eight days after the shepherds have, have gone back to their, the sheep in their fields. This is eight days after the wise men have returned to the east or they don't get there till Egypt. Bible scholars fight about that later. But regardless, this is after all of that stuff happens. And as you know what happens in the time after Christmas, there's this weird moment that happens when the wonder goes away and reality begins to set back in. And for Joseph and Mary, they're dealing with the reality of what their lives are now, the physical reality of tiredness, of can we go back to the map, the physical reality of having just finished a 120-kilometer journey on foot while about to have a baby? You should laugh at that. If you want to imagine, imagine that days before giving birth, you just chose to walk to Lacombe. That's what happened. And then they got to Lacombe and had a baby. And now they're dealing with the reality of that baby because contrary to what I think is the worst of all the carols, crying did Jesus make, as well as all of the other things that babies make. Jesus made all of those things. And like all new parents dealing with newborns, they have to 
re- deal with this reality of a new baby. I remember the first time that we had a baby. Uh, it was 16 years ago. And, uh, and like, so people were there at first, and then they left. And, like, parents were there, and everybody was excited. And eventually they just left this baby with my wife and I. And there was a part of me that was just like, isn't a grown-up going to come? And... Like, they're, they're just leaving this child with us? Like, who said that that was okay? Like, I'm not. So that reality is setting in for them. And also, the economic reality that Joseph and Mary were living in. Because it says that they offered two doves and two pigeons. That was the, 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 the cheapest of the offerings that you could possibly offer at the temple for the poorest of the people. And Joseph and Mary are now living eight days removed from this and wondering, is any of this real? What is, the, what is going on now? And it, the book of Luke doesn't say specifically that that's what we're feeling, but we can imagine that. We can imagine that for a couple of reasons. One, we see that that happens elsewhere in the Bible. It's amazing in the, when the Bible tells us the story of Elijah, Elijah was a prophet of the Lord and he saw God do some amazing things. And one of the most amazing things that Elijah did was he entered into this duel with the prophets of Baal, where he was like having a prophet off and he, and they had this fight where the prophets of Baal cried out to their God to try to get their God to rain fire onto their altars. And Elijah was trying, was calling out to the God of Israel and saying, you rain fire on my altar. And after all of this, and it's a long and, and wonderful story, but after it, Elijah has this amazing get, victory and God just rains down fire and provides vindication for him. He defeats all the prophets of Baal. He, he feels this amazing victory in seeing the, the actual power of the Lord rain down from the sky and then he runs off into the, into the wilderness and wishes that he were dead. Because that's what can happen to you emotionally sometimes when you just saw the work of the Lord and then you have to get back to real life and we're still in this already not yet place. You feel like, was that even real? Did that even happen? And if you felt like that in your life, you're not abnormal. You're just like every other person in the world who lives in this fallen world where there is a gap between what we know we're supposed to live in and the reality that God is calling us to and the reality in which we live right now. And into this place for Joseph and Mary steps first Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout and the Holy Spirit was on him. This is such a fascinating description of this man because it says that he was righteous and devout. Both his attitudes and his actions were right with the Lord. There's lots of people who are devout. They have all of their actions right. They know when to stand and when to sit, when to kneel. They know what they're supposed to wear at all of the different ceremonies. They know all of the hoops that they're supposed to jump through. They all know all of the spiritual language that they're supposed to speak, and yet their hearts are far from God. That is not Simeon. Simeon has both his actions and his attitudes in line with what God is calling to him. And not only that, the Holy Spirit 
is on him. This, remember, this is the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit has not been fully revealed as he is on all of us today. This is a, a long and, and complex theological thing, but there is nothing lacking in Simeon's character. There is nothing lacking in Simeon's walk with the Lord. He is righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit was on him, and yet a really interesting piece of information. What we find out next is that he was, can we go to the next one? No, back. Well, he was waiting. This is a strange place to find ourselves. Because what the world has taught us and what we've bought into as a church is that if you're righteous and devout and if the Holy Spirit is on you, then you shouldn't be waiting. Because if it's good and if it's valuable, you're going to get it right away. Anything that is good and is good for you is going to happen to you immediately. And the world has taught us this and we've imported it, that if it's relationships, if it's, if it's careers, if it's success, if it's any kind of blessing, that it's all supposed to happen to us right away. We're supposed to, we've been taught that waiting is this, is this absence of God's work. And what we're seeing right here is that Simeon was both righteous and devout and full of the Holy Spirit, and he was waiting. And if you're one of those people who are also right, believe in your heart that you're righteous and devout, that you've experienced the Holy Spirit, and you're like, why am I still waiting for God to do what he promised? Maybe you're like Simeon, and the story's not about you, and we're waiting on the timing of God. Because Simeon's waiting had nothing to do with Simeon. It didn't have anything to do with his actions. It didn't have anything to do with anything that he had done wrong. It had everything to do with waiting on the perfect timing of the Lord. And in this moment, this is the moment that Simeon has been waiting for. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, and now it has come. It's frustrating to us to admit why, to, the, 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 to, to be in that waiting place, I get it. I have been there many times myself. But we have to acknowledge that sometimes God calls us, that not sometimes, that all the time God calls us to maturity and one of the most used tools that God uses to bring us to maturity is waiting. Older people are better at waiting than younger people are. And this is what Simeon is teaching us at this moment. He's got that maturity. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it's interesting as we meet Simeon and Anna that this is true of both of them. If we can put Simeon and Anna together there. This is true of both of them. Both of them are these righteous and devout people who are older who are faithful, they've endured, and now they are, have been waiting for this specific moment to step into their lives. And I, and I just want to say as a word of encouragement to some of our older people, we live in a church, that a, a culture that values newness and values youth, and we're wrong about that. We as a church need you old people to stand up. Not literally right now, like you can stay seated, but but we need your maturity and we need your strength and we need your faithfulness over time. 
and we need you when we're losing our minds over everything that is happening in the world. We need some of you old people to be like, yeah, I've seen this before. Don't get freaked out about it. The promises of God are still true. Now that doesn't mean that every old person is like that. I gotta be honest, I've been in the church a long time. I've seen a lot of old people that have not won any maturity in their age. They may be old and they may be senior, but they have not learned a thing. They haven't had multiple years of experience. They've had one year of experience 70 times, right? And that's the challenge that we have, and I, would, I want to invite you guys to do that because we desperately need mature, older people around us. And, and for those of us like me who are middle-aged and seeing old age coming, and like, what does it look like for us to get old? Simeon and Anna give us... A, a taste of what it looks like because they are holy and devout and they are comfortable in their waiting. They have cast off the concerns of this world to a certain degree and they are waiting. They are trusting that the Lord will do what he has accomplished. Um, you don't, if you don't follow sports, don't worry about this, but there's a coach of the, uh, San Antonio Spurs. His name is Greg Popovich and he says, and he has a principle for older players that he says, as you get older, you need to get lighter. Right, And he means that in a basketball sense, that you can't at 35, 36, 37, 38 run and jump and do that with a lot of extra weight like you can when you're 19. Those of us who are a little bit older know that like you'll slip in the ice and all of a sudden your ears hurt. I don't know why that happened, but that's the world in which we live. Everything hurts and I don't know why, right? So he says that you need to get lighter. The same thing, though, is true for us spiritually. As we get older, we need to get lighter. We need to start laying down the concerns of this world and trading them for the joys that we know that God is bringing us. The last church that I worked this, I, had, I worked at, I had a great example of this because there was a, a man there, one of our elders, he was Joe. His name was Joe, and he was 84, and I would come with the dumbest ideas that you had ever imagined for what to do in church. Like, I, I, I have ideas like baby turtles, and a lot of them are really dumb and should die before they reach the ocean. And, and Joe would just sit there with my ideas and be like, okay, we can try that. Like, once I was like, we should let everyone take their dogs to church. That'd be fun, right? That would be good. We could just have dogs in the church, and then that would like, it, and Joe was like, yeah, and he didn't even mention the fact that like maybe dogs would fight with each other and we would have to replace the carpet afterwards. Actually, we might want to do that before we replace, the, we'll have the dog service before we replace the carpet. You guys paid for new carpet, so we'll have dog service then. But every time I would ask Joe, I would be like, Joe, like, are you okay with this? Like, this is kind of a crazy idea. And Joe would always turn to me and say, like, I don't have to live with it very long. And he was getting lighter. He was more brave. He could try more things because it was, he was 84. And he had seen most of what the world had to offer, and he'd survived so many things as a child being born in Berlin as the Russians were coming in. He had seen so many things that he just did not carry the concerns of this world anymore. So he was willing to try everything. Older people, we need Simeon and Anna's in our churches. We desperately, desperately need you. And I'm asking you to, to do whatever you have to do to get there. Get lighter because we desperately need you. Because in this moment, 
Simeon and Anna in their, in their maturity, in their, in their certainty of God's promises, in the strength that has been built in them through waiting, they step in to Joseph and Mary's confusion. And moved by the Spirit, he goes to the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And also it says that Anna, that coming up to them at that very moment, she, Anna, gave thanks to God and spoke to all about the child, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Into Joseph and Mary's confusion steps Simeon and Anna with their certainty of God's promises. And they say, this is what you experienced is true. The promise that God made to you is true. The promise that God made to all of us is true. And it's important for us to recognize where this happened. This happened in the temple courts, which weren't just a church service. This was also where legal issues were sorted out. And if you were going to bring a legal case, you needed to bring two witnesses who had seen the truth and were able to, 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 to bear witness to what happened. So in this moment, in their courtroom, two witnesses who are connected to the old world deeply say, no, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the fulfillment of the promises that God made to us. This is the consolation of Israel. This is the fulfillment of what is promised. This is the redemption of Jerusalem. And in that moment, Ju Joseph and Mary and everyone around start to see that maybe God God has not abandoned us. Because when they're waiting for the consolation of Jerusalem, when they're waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, what they are waiting for is the change of their entire world. Simeon and Anna lived in a world where the religious establishment had completely abandoned their calling and were just leading people astray into dead religious rites and going through the motions. And they were also oppressed by an indifferent empire that really didn't care for them other than for what they could get, get from them. Whatever, they could, whatever profit they could squeeze from them was all that they mattered for. And this is the world into which Simeon and Anna are trusting the promises of God the promises that all nations will be blessed through Israel, the promise that there will be hope, that there will be peace, that there will be comfort, that there will be movement forward. And in the midst of this, this promise is confirmed in Jesus. In this moment, two witnesses confirm that Jesus is who he was claimed to be. And this reminds us too of our waiting and our promises, right? I've had the chance as campus pastor to talk to some of you and I know that there are people in this room who are waiting for God's promises to come through. And I know that that waiting is difficult. And there are other people in this room that I don't know what promise you're waiting for, but I know that no matter what you're waiting for, no matter what you've looked forward to, no matter what you've come from, that this waiting is difficult. Because, and the reason why I know that isn't because I've gleaned some prophetic learning. It's because the Bible promised and Jesus told us that you will have much trouble in this world. 
So there's not a person in this room that does not have much trouble. There's not a person on this staff that does not have much trouble. And we are never, ever going to be a church that ignores the reality that people who follow Jesus faithfully and devoutly and are filled with the Holy Spirit still have much trouble. So if you've been living ashamed that you still have much trouble in this world, don't be ashamed. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But take heart because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. As we, this is the Advent season, and one of the things that happened in the church calendar is that this Advent season was, was, was supposed to be a season of waiting. We were supposed to, going through the prophets like Isaiah, like Zephaniah, we're supposed to read their passages, and we're supposed to remember the experience of the people waiting for the birth of Jesus. And that emotional reality that we empathize with is supposed to remind us of the waiting that we're enduring because we also live in a world where we're waiting for Jesus to reveal himself fully. Because we are not yet what we're called to be and this world certainly is not what it is called to be. And we also know what it is like to live under an empire that tries to crush us only for our profit. We also know something of what it is like to live in a world where religious elites have completely lost their way. We also know what it is like to live in a world that is unjust, that is unfair. We also know what it is like to live in a world with physical tiredness and sickness that haunts us. We also know what it is like to live in a world of economic uncertainty where all we can afford to give are two pigeons and two turtle doves, that that's all we've got. We also know what that longing is like. And we, just as Simeon and Anna had been given a promise, we've been given a promise as well. If we could go to my very last one. And don't come out yet, it's gonna be a minute or two. <laughs> This is the promise that we've been given. Revelations 21 points to this reality when Jesus fully returns again. And it points to this specific moment and says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, God seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That is what we've been promised. Nothing less than that. So if today you are experiencing sickness or death or mourning or crying or pain, if you have come here carrying that, I want you to believe this promise that that is going away, that that is not our eternal destination, but rather our promise is God being with us now and for eternity. God dwelling with us now and for eternity. And what that requires of us in this waiting time is faith. Now the Bible says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. But one of the ways that we've gotten it twisted in our culture is we always assume 
You're back there? Good. We always assume that faith is ours, that, 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 that when we talk about faith, it's my individual faith. So when I go to bed at night, my faith, the faith that I have, the faith that I can conjure up when it's just me and my heart and, and, and God and I'm alone. But what's interesting is every time in the Bible when it talks about faith, it's not talking about your individual faith. It's talking about all y'all's faith. Sorry, English is a stupid language. It doesn't encompass. It's talking about all y'all's faith, all of our faith linking together. Because when Joseph and Mary were short on faith, God brought Simeon and Anna into their lives and say, no, 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 what you were promised is true. Simple illustration of what this was like. Earlier we were playing a song and I am not a person who always hears rhythms well. So I don't necessarily know when to clap. It's common of people with my complexion that we don't necessarily know when to clap because I can't hear the beat well enough. And sometimes faith is like that. It's not there for me. It's a, I know that I'm supposed to. I know that I'm supposed to pick up on it. I know that it's supposed to be there, but it's not there right now. And I don't feel that. But you know what I do in that moment when I've lost the rhythm of my faith and I don't know when to clap? What I did this morning was I listened for the kick drum. And I knew that that's when I'm supposed to clap most of the time. It's not always. And I knew that even if I didn't know where where the beat was, that Darian did. And I was going to trust him that this was a person that I knew that listened, that knows. And I'm going to trust him that I'm going to clap when he claps, when he hits that kick drum. And I turned beside me and I looked at Martin and Martin was clapping and Martin always knows when to clap because he most often starts the clapping. You guys don't get it, but most. And I clapped when Martin clapped, not because I knew when to clap, because I looked at him and I was like, I trust him. And I trust that, that he has a rhythm that I don't have right now. And eventually I picked up on it myself. Eventually I could hear it. I could fe- hear the beat that I was supposed to clap on and I started clapping on the beat. Faith works the exact same way. Sometimes you don't feel it, you can't hear it, so you need to trust the Simeons and Annas in your life. You need to find them, they need to find you, and you need to say, I've lost the rhythm of this. Remind me what's true again. Remind me what's real again, and they will. So I would invite us at this moment I'm gonna have an experiment. If you're a person who needs assurance this morning, If your faith feels like a beat that you can't hear and you're trying to clap and you don't know when to clap, I want you to stand right now. Let's be brave together because I'm that person. If you need that that assurance, I would love you to stand, okay? Thank you for being brave. And this is when it gets fun. If you're a person today who feels overflowing with faith, if you're a person today who can hear that kick drum rhythm of faith coming into your heart, I would love you to stand up and reach your hands out in prayer. Keep, let's keep socially distanced, we can do that. But if you're a person, look at the people who are already standing. If you can turn and put your hands out to them, we're just gonna pray 
that your faith comes into them, that your faith is contagious because God promised us that our faith would be contagious and that we would remind everyone who needs this today of what is true. God, you give us faith. You've given us promises and we trust that your promises are true. And sometimes we come here like Joseph and Mary, eight days removed from the wonder and we're lost and we're wondering, was that even real? And we need Simeon's and Anna's to show up in our lives to say to us, no, what you heard was true. What, you're, what you were promised was true and it's going to come. You need to be strong in your waiting. Remain devout. Remain in the Holy Spirit. So we just ask at this moment that those of us who have overflowing faith would pour that in to those without. That your Holy Spirit would double and triple that faith as it is poured into those people who need it this morning. And we were to be reminded of your truth, that all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing, great are you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.